morning. Hope you picked up a welcome pack. If you haven't got one, please collect one from the, the rear of the church as you go. And if you've also filled out the life group form, and if it hasn't been handed in yet, there's a box just over here on the right-hand side on your left, or give it to myself or Charlie or one of the pastoral team. Thank you very much for that. While I'm talking, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Just to mention too that Pastor Darrell is inducting Pastor Josh at Hertford Street this morning, so that's where they are. Might be a few of our number there as well who are also involved with that, that celebration time. So. Colossians chapter 1 this morning, let's read. The first 14 verses that we're looking at today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a magnificent passage of scripture. Let's bow and pray together. Father, your word is just so amazing and so packed full of nourishment please help us to receive something of yourself this morning as we look into your word thank you already for the beautiful worship time we've enjoyed just being with you and being able to just have that one-on-one -on -one with you here in the midst of us together but yet still meeting you personally and we pray that you will continue to work and move in each of our lives as we expose our hearts to all that you want to say and do in our lives right now as we open your word and Father, we pray these things in your most precious and holy name. Amen. So over the next uh, two months, actually, right up until Easter, um, as we continue with this year's focus on being passionate followers of Christ, we'll be looking into uh, God's Word, as we see in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We just believe that's so packed full of all kinds of things that we can learn about being passionate followers of Christ. And now, Colossians, as, as many of you would know, it's one of the four prison letters that, that Paul wrote under house arrest in Rome. Um, and though Paul had not uh, actually 
planted the church at Colossae, nor has he actually visited the place. He nonetheless had a deep concern and passion for these struggling believers in this place. And all this came about because one of Paul's converts called Epaphras, after his conversion, he took the gospel back to Colossae, the place where he lived, and as he took the gospel back and shared it, well, others also became believers in Christ, which is something that the gospel does, don't you think? Isn't that wonderful? You're here this morning because you heard the gospel. Someone shared it with you, prayed for you, and God did a miraculous work in you. This is what we see happening here. Epaphras takes his gospel back after he's been excited about what God's done in his life to his own people. And then many get converted. And, and, um, and it would appear that it was Epaphras who actually started the church there in Colossae. So all this wonderful thing's happening. And then, of course, as one would expect, and we need to be watchful and alert for this, Satan comes in. And he also begins his work, his work of deception, his work of division among these new believers by using false teachers to spread heresy, lies and confusion. We're not told exactly the nature of this false teaching, but Paul gives a bit of an idea as we go through the letter what it might be, but we don't actually know what it is. And apparently at this time, it had not reached an epidemic portion, you know, to degree in the church, But understandably, it so deeply troubled Epaphras that he comes to Rome and he reports to Paul what's going on. Now, a lot of the news, as we read through this letter, a lot of the news that Epaphras brings to Paul about the church in Colossae is in fact positive. It's good news. And we see the the, the Apostle Paul acknowledging that and encouraging them, these believers, as he writes back to them. This amazing God-inspired letter to the church in Colossae. What about Colossae itself? Just a little bit of background about the place itself. The historians tell us that um, Colossae itself once was a large, wealthy, prosperous city. Thousands and thousands of years ago. But in Paul's day, it had diminished to an insignificant market town. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Apparently there was an earthquake in that place and they changed the road system, so once, so which, which diverted all the traffic, as you can imagine. So it was once this huge big place and now it had diminished down to some insignificant little market town. In fact, one commentator by the name of J.B. Uh, Lightfoot, he said that Colossae was the most unimportant town that Paul ever wrote a letter to. There you go. However, all right, he said that. But you know what? The Apostle Paul certainly doesn't feel like that or doesn't feel that way towards the church that's been planted there. No way. For as another writer actually says, and I remember hearing this quote when I was in Bible college doing this book, so it's been around for a while, but I love what this quote says. And I'm not sure who even the, the, the author of the quote was, but this is what one writer said. No Pauline letter has such a lofty view of Jesus Christ or such insistence on his completeness and finality as does this letter to the Colossians. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's a book, a letter that's just packed with so much theology and doctrine and and other things as well. It's a magnificent book. Certainly the well-being of that little church at Colossae was for sure 
a top priority in the heart of the Apostle Paul, who loved the church, loved the church. Why? Well, because he knew that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And dear friends, this morning, can I ask you, hey, do you, do you love your church? Do you love your church? You know, we don't always love everything that happens in the church. But do you love the church? And we ought to love the church. Why? Because it's the body of Christ and he loves the body. He loves his church. Well, as we have a closer look here at this particular book, this, at this letter here, we can see that, um, that it can be divided into actually three parts. So let me give you a quick rundown on that. So verses 1 to 2 contains the greeting or the salutation of Paul. Verses 1 to 2. Then 3 to 8 is a prayer of thanksgiving, followed by verses 9 to 14, where Paul prays this incredible prayer of petition over this little fellowship. That's all that's happening in those first 14 verses. And we're going to move through this fairly quickly. It's just so packed and it's such an exciting letter uh, and the words that God has given the Apostle Paul to share with that church and with us today uh, is just magnificent. So Paul, as he begins the letter, um, and, and look, as he does begin the letter, I, I want to highlight even the, the greeting, even that part, because I think so often uh, we tend to gloss over the greeting. Oh, that's just the greeting. Let's get into the other bits. But look carefully, and I'd, I'd encourage you to do that in your life groups if you're studying this book or any time that you're studying it. Make sure you read the words. Don't just gloss over them. There's just so much in there. But I want you to notice firstly that, that, that the Apostle Paul, Paul is not writing this letter as a concerned individual believer. We need to see here that the Apostle Paul is writing it as an apostle. You might be saying, well, tell me something I don't know. But have a look at that. Just think about that. It's coming from the authority of apostleship, that authority that comes from Christ. And Paul speaks the very words of God to this little church. And indeed, because he speaks the word of God, he speaks to, it, to us today. It's relevant for us today as it comes from God's word through his apostle. So we need to listen carefully and ask ourselves and ask the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to me? This is your word. So look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he's not a self-appointed apostle. A lot of people walk around saying, yep, I'm an apostle or I'm this, I'm that. This person was not self-appointed. He was appointed by God. Big difference. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Timothy's also mentioned here with Paul, and he often is. Um, and, and he's this faithful, discipled companion of Paul that we see often in the letters here. Um, and then from verses 2, verse 2, Paul, even from verse 2 here, Paul encourages and affirms these believers that they are genuine, authentic Christians. He acknowledges that. He wants to confirm, he wants to affirm them. Look at what he says. He calls them God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he gives that beautiful greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Hey, we ought to greet each other like that, don't you think? Grace and peace to you from God our Father. You know, I, I really believe it does us good sometimes does us good to be reminded of who we really are 
and who we have become when we have invited, when we invited the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives. We become God's holy people. We become those chosen out of the world and set apart by God and for God. What a privileged people we are. Good to think about that. Does us good to say, you know what, I'm a child of God. I belong, as, as the Apostle Peter talks about us, as being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God. That's who we are in him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then Paul affirms these believers for being faithful. Faithful. What a precious quality that is. Don't just be faithful in your relationships. Be faithful for God. A quality that is so essential, particularly for a church that's under attack as these believers were from these false teachers who had began to infiltrate them. And in our own lives, it's a good thing to do a spiritual check, a spiritual inventory, I suppose, and ask the question, Lord, am I faithful? Lord, am I faithful? Am I faithful to you? And Lord, am I faithful to the church? Particularly when my faith is under attack by those out there who we might work with and associate with who consider what we do and perhaps ourselves as people as being foolish, religious, foolish people. You've heard it all. Kind of backward a little bit, a bit primitive. You believe in God? You go to church? Come on. You've heard it. I have. Folks, are we faithful to God in those circumstances? When we're ridiculed, when we're mocked, when we're slandered, when we're persecuted. Are you so assured in who you are as being one of God's people that you can stand there and perhaps even feel sorry and pray for that one who is mocking you? Because you know who you are in Christ. They're lost. You've been found. Paul further recognises them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are, despite differences. Despite differences in background, and there are many, despite cultural differences, language or social position or spiritual maturity. We're all one in Christ because we were, they were, we are spiritually conceived, if you like, and, and, and created by the one Father God. Then we are of the one family in Christ Jesus. And we, in the same way, we need to celebrate this fact in our own church. There are many of us that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. As we came together last week, I guess that was a lovely sign, I guess, a manifestation of, the, of, of us being one church, many congregations, but one church here at Sunnybank. Just as Paul's reminding these Colossians who they are, and then Paul continues here in verses 3 to 8. He continues to appreciate them, to encourage these Colossian believers in this magnificent prayer of thanksgiving for them. And again, as you read these words and appreciate the fact that Paul didn't even know this church. He didn't even know who these people. He'd never been to that place. And yet, this passionate apostle 
was so filled with thankfulness to God that the gospel of Jesus Christ had been embraced by them and had transformed their lives and that was spreading to other parts of the world, bearing fruit and growing, he says in verse 6. You know, and you read this and you understand that Paul didn't plant this place. (laughs) He didn't even know them. But the challenge I see here, one of the other challenges I see is that For us too, to to make special effort by the grace of God and by his enabling to thank God, as Paul did, for what he has done and is doing in the lives of perhaps people that we don't even really personally know. But to be able to pray for them, as Paul did, when God lays someone on your heart, a a people group or something, or, or an individual, you may not know them, but have that passion, that longing, that that burden to pray. I mean, for example, this is just an example, I guess, that when we have visiting missionaries who come to our church, and, and I love to hear their stories, and they normally always go over time, and we know we struggle with that, but when visiting missionaries come and they share with us how a person or people, persons from overseas with whom they're working, and they come to faith in Christ, that we as a church, together with them, that we might respond and, you know, with all our heart and say, Father God, thank you. Thank you for this worker of the gospel. Thank you for the the work that you're doing in and through this brother or this sister and for the transformed lives that we've heard about today. Through them, thank you, Lord, for the workers. Thank you, Lord, for those who are being transformed by the gospel. You know, it's interesting to note that Spurgeon, even in his day, kind of follows up on that same point. Here's Spurgeon, 1843 to 1892. And he said, he said about this very, this very point that I've just mentioned, he says these words. He says, It's delightful thus to hear one servant of God praise another. And then he says, There is far too little of this in our day. In our day? Hey, have much, has much changed, you think, in our day now? How important for all of us to learn to appreciate one another and to encourage one another in Christian ministry, be it in your workplace or be it here in the church, wherever God's put you. How important that we encourage one another. And look, we acknowledge and we know that there are times we need to speak the truth in love to one another. We do need to correct one another. But you know, sometimes it seems to me that we can be so quick to criticise and so slow to encourage. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we can be quiet when people are doing great things, but we'll be noisy when they step out of line. I don't know what it is. It's a part of our human makeup. Why do we do that? No, it doesn't happen a lot, but why do we do that? Because you see, the scripture is so opposite to that. You would be battling in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's letters to find anywhere in that scripture, where you don't see the word encourage or encouragement or where it's inferred. The scriptures are full of the exhorting of believers to not only love one another, but to encourage one another. Just as Paul's doing this to these believers here. 
For example, listen to what Paul said. This is one out of many. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, Paul says, therefore encourage one another every year. Whoops, let me leave that one. Come back to that. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. You see that? That's what encouragement does. It builds you up. It doesn't puff you up. Don't be frightened to encourage someone because there's a silly school of thought out there that says, oh, look, if I encourage that person, they'll get a swollen head. Well, no. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, trust him and do it. When it's true encouragement, it builds up in Christ, not puff up. So there's Paul saying that to the Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as in fact you're doing. Look at the one in Hebrews. And that's where I was going to say. Therefore, or he says, but encourage one another every year. No, it doesn't say that, folks. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, but encourage one another. How often? Gee, daily. Hebrews 3, 13. You might want to make a note of that. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think we can become hardened when we don't have that affirmation, when we don't become those that say, yeah, God, thanks for what you're doing in that person's life, in our lives. I think that's what that's saying there. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Okay, then in verses 5 to 6, Paul thanks God for, verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. Love that. This is the true message, folk. You want truth? Do you really want to know what truth is? Here it is. Here it is. It's God's word. It's the gospel. Because you hear a lot of untruth out there. This message, the true message of the gospel that has come to you. I want you to notice in this little passage there, just in these first five and six, there are three key words that Paul mentions in these verses. Three key words that I think is just worth unpacking a little bit more here. These three words, Matthew Henry, he calls them the three principal graces in the Christian life and proper matter of our prayer and thanksgiving. And he's referring to those three words, faith, hope and love. Yeah. Faith, hope and love. These three words, these three principal graces are a favourite with the Apostle Paul too, uh, which he includes in, others, in other of his epistles. A well-known example of Paul using this, this triplet, I suppose, this trilogy, these beautiful tri words of trilogy, uh, come from 1 Thessalonians 13, 13. Here's a very well-known example. Paul says this, the love chapter, if you like. And these three remain. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Yeah. And again, he uses the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, if you're taking notes. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. You'll see those three used again. So these three virtues or these, these principal graces are so central and essential to our Christian experience. For example, faith for the Christian is looking upward to God. So faith is looking upward to God, fixing our eyes on him 
Fixing our eyes on him in relationship with him, in fellowship with him, drawing from him, receiving from him, in total dependency on him and in worship of him and indeed in loving him. It's looking up, it's worshipping God, it's acknowledging that everything I have and need comes from him. My heart beats because he gives permission for it to beat. So dependent am I, every step I take, every move I make is an absolute dependency to him. We worship him. We lift up our eyes. Faith in him. Looking upward. But love for the Christian is also looking outward. It's looking outward to one another. It's looking outward as Paul was doing as he penned this letter to these Colossian believers. How how are we doing in that area, folks? How are we going? Can Can we do better in our love of looking outward to those who are in desperate need? All around us. Can we do better in loving one another? Can we do better in loving those that Paul was, is encouraging us to love? Looking outward. Because I want to suggest that our natural human tendency is not to look outward, it's to look inward. Don't you think? We look inward to our own selfish interests. But we have a God himself who is looking outward. Outward towards the likes of you and me. Aren't you glad that God... So loved us that he looked outward to see you in your need. God looks outward. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16 But whosoever can't go without fear, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you Lord for looking outward in your love and seeing me. And then there's hope. The other word that Paul uses here, then there's hope. Hope for the Christian is looking forward. Looking forward. Charlie mentioned that around the communion table. Looking forward in anticipation to a glorious future with the Lord Jesus. What a future. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all meet Jesus and shout and sing the victory. Magnificent. Can I ask you this morning, because I'm wondering, do you all have this forward-looking hope in your own life this morning? Because it's what Paul's encouraging the believers in Colossians to be doing. Am I speaking to someone here today and you don't really know what the future holds for you in that respect? Well, the reality is we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, correct? That's the difference for the Christian. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And therefore, we can take a big sigh of relief and say, Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that my life is hid with you in Christ, in God. Thank you. I don't have to fret and worry about what's around the corner because you're already there. And I know your love is so powerful. I'm secure in you, Lord. I can look forward with great joy and anticipation because of who he is and because of what he's done. Then verses 9 to 14, Paul prays this magnificent, God-breathed prayer of petition to this church, for this church in Colossae. We don't have the time to go through that, but I'll soak in it, brothers and sisters. Let this word soak in you. You soak in it. Read it. Read it again today. Verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And then he goes in this magnificent spiel. So in other words, I guess Paul's saying here, since hearing the report that came from Epaphras, 
It's so good. It's so encouraging that you genuinely love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That your sisters and brothers in Christ and, and that you're pressing on in your faith, love and hope. Since hearing about this, since us hearing about you, we've not stopped thanking God for you and we also are praying for you. Really what Paul's saying here and then he goes on. Then he, then he comes to this amazing prayer from verse 9 following. Look at it. Let me read it again. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. What a power-packed prayer. Want to learn how to pray? Read Paul's prayers. What a beautiful power-packed prayer. And bear in mind, bear in mind as you read this, that when Epaphras came to Paul, it wasn't only about the good things, but the main issue for Epaphras was about this heresy that had begun to infect the church. And this prayer that was offered to these Colossians, I believe it was offered as an antidote to kill off that infection. That's what prayer does. How important. Prayer is an antidote. It kills off infection, spiritual infection. That's why we need to be praying for one another, praying for the church, praying for the pastors. Please pray for us. Look at what Paul, note what Paul was praying for here. You know, firstly, that they might know God's will. Secondly, that they would live so as to please God. Thirdly, that they would work to bear fruit. Fourthly, that they would know and understand the word of God more deeply. And fifthly, that they would know and experience his glorious power in their lives. This is what it means in verse 12, to be living in the kingdom of light in contrast to these false teachers and heretics who were still in the dominion of darkness that Paul talks about. They're in the dominion of darkness. Though they might promise all kinds of things, they promise all kinds of good things as they even do today as we hear all this empty humanistic philosophy that's going around the place, that our kids are being exposed to at uni and so on and so forth, through the media. They promise this and they promise that. We need to remember that the promises of these philosophies are empty and void of any substance or power. And Paul prays for these Colossian believers and teaches them, as he, does, as he does for us today, throughout this whole letter, as we get into it this, in these next coming weeks, that Jesus Christ, you need to listen to this, that Jesus Christ is the absolute, complete and adequate for all humanity. There is nothing more than him. He is the all in all. He is absolute, complete. For every human need. I guess if there's a take-home message, that would be it. Even in these first 14 verses, that's what Paul's saying and doing through this prayer of thanksgiving. He's saying, look to Jesus. There's nothing more, there's nothing better that you and I could ever have than we have in Christ. And Paul could, got, could have gotten down, he could have given us incredible exposition of all this heresy and concentrated on what the heresy was doing and blown it apart and done this and done that. But what's he doing? He's lifting up Christ and saying, look to Jesus. 
Know him. Know this amazing God called Jesus Christ. Know him. Love him. Experience him. And when you know the authentic truth, when you've tasted him and you know he's so good, you won't want the garbage that gets spewed out to you. You'll be able to discern error. You'll know false teaching because you know the truth. Don't you think that's true? He is all in all. He's the the one that we need. He's the only one. You can have no better than him. Look what he's done for us as Paul finishes off in verse 13. 14, for he, Christ, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who he is. This is what he's done for us. And Paul preaches this through his letter. Can't we say hallelujah, what a saviour. We have. And dear friends, encouraging you this morning, as you walk with Jesus every day, as you pray in the Spirit and are being led by the Spirit as Paul was, then you'll also give Christ that absolute preeminence in your life. For as the Apostle Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 11, as I've already said, but Christ is all. He is all and in all. There's nothing better. There is absolutely nothing better. Just get to know him yourself personally. That's what the scripture's teaching us. Let's pray. Father, may that be not just something we hear about and say, oh, that's good and run off. Help us, we pray. Lord, to get to know you, to know you more, as we read this prayer of Paul's, as we immerse ourselves in your word and pray that your word just flood our souls, help us to have a little bit of a, a more of a closer glimpse, a bit more of an, intimacy, an intimate glimpse of yourself and to know you, to know your power, to know your presence, to know your provision. You really are the all in all. There's, there's no one greater. There's nothing else better that we could ever have than what we have in Christ. Convince us, Lord, of this truth. Help us to live in the light of that truth. And may we be people today who go out into the world in which you've put us. Let our faces just gleam with this absolute assurance that I belong to Christ. And we have a God who looks outward to in love and wants to love others through us. Help us to be effective as passionate followers of Christ. Lord, we pray for we surrender and we commit ourselves to you. Do your work, Lord. Here we are as a church. Help us to be ready and willing, waiting and on the move for you. As we pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Bless you, folks.